So I had heard Jonathan before, and we had never really met. I'd heard him speaking at a few different things. And then uh, we got the chance to talk, and it was really cool to get the chance to see Jonathan's heart and to get to see people who have a passion for campus ministry and who have been involved in those things and uh, also still very passionate as an evangelist to make sure that his church is making disciples as well. And uh, we've had some really cool conversations, and I think we're going to have some even cooler conversations coming up. But uh, I, I just feel like we're really blessed that God uh, – has allowed Jonathan to be here, uh, communicator of God's word. And uh, God has always used men who love him and love people to use his word to, to change people's lives. And so tonight, uh, I hope you pull out your notebooks, you take notes, and you allow God in the, in the word of God and Jonathan uh, communicating that to really help us be what God designed us to be. We're going to pray, and then we're going to let him cut loose, all right? Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for tonight, for uh, seeing you, just for the whole weekend, God, getting to sing uh, and worship to you, God, and for Jonathan being able to be here and get to talk to us about that, God. I'm excited. I'm just excited about the whole evening. God, um, just uh, let him cut loose. Let him know that he has free reign to say whatever he needs to say, God, that uh, these are people who love you. They love him, God, and uh, that he has the freedom to preach the word boldly here and uh, just allow him to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is one of my, I think it might be my favorite event that I get to do. Um, so yeah, thank y'all. And that's with me having a stomach bug last year. I hear y'all have already talked about that. It's funny to make fun of people with explosive diarrhea, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I have never in my life had to preach with a trash can right in front of me like I did last year. So thanks. You know, a lot of times when people are sick, you like, don't mock them. You like, care for them and stuff, but I guess that's one way to do it. Uh, no, I really, really sincerely am happy to be a part of this event in a small way and get to see God move. Uh, I have told so many people about what God is doing through y'all's churches, and um, so I want to help as much as I can tonight and tomorrow. And tonight, we're talking about worship. And if you, uh, how many of y'all are first-generation Christians? Okay, praise God for your lives and your testimony. How many of y'all are Buicks brought up in church kids? Okay, so when, when you come to gather with God's people and you worship, there's something that can feel awfully routine about it. And so what I hope to do tonight is help you see it in a different way. But first, let's talk about the way we normally see it. I grew up in a 10-person church, um, really, really good church but the scene was awful because I was like the youth group by myself and it was, you know, 10 people we'd get together and the kind of leader of that church, Brother Foy, he was very, shall we say, ambitious in like his song selection. So he would get up, every, everybody had to lead a song and um, Brother Foy would, he would do four-part harmony, which is like, there's not enough people for, and it wasn't just what he would do, it was how he would do it. So has anybody heard the song, How I Love the Great Redeemer, just show of hands? Yeah, he would lead that regularly. And so here's what it looked like for, for me as a little boy watching this dumpster fire take place. Brother Foy would get up and it, it would start off, it, it starts off with the sopranos. And he ain't a soprano. And we don't have a praise team. So here's what Brother Foy would do. He would go, he is everything to me, to me. 
He is everything to me and everything. And then he would, all throughout the song, he was like doing all the parts. It's like, I don't think this is how it's supposed to look. And it's certainly not how it's supposed to sound. So if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably got some funny stories about singing. Um, I heard Brother Robert participated last night. Um, (laughs) And a lot of us have spent a lot of time singing, not realizing that when we do, we're participating in a revolution as old as time itself. And so the passage for this weekend is from Isaiah 52, and if you could put that up. This is after God is pledging, I'm going to set everything right. And then he says, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, a lot like what we just did. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is a weird little switch in the, in the passage. Everything's going to be set right. Your deepest hopes are going to come true. So um, sing. Did you know that the Bible opens up with a song? In Genesis 1, it's really, it's, you know, there's, there's like Genesis 1 is the 50,000 foot view of creation. Genesis 2 is kind of the, the on the ground, closer uh, picture of it. And Genesis 1 is written as a poem, as a song. It's almost like God, and I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I'm not trying to be any liberal slippery or anything, but it's like God created it with a song. It's interesting. I've been walking alongside people who have lost their faith for a long time, and the the one thing everybody who has lost their faith misses is singing. We uh, scholars today call uh, modern secular West disenchanted. Do you know the word enchanted comes from the word canto or song? It's like life in this secular world that we live in has been stripped of its meaning and its music. The Bible, it, it all throughout Genesis to Revelation, it has the people of God singing. In fact, did you know that Jesus, his last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? are from a song. In other words, Jesus dies singing. And did you know that in Revelation, as we see what is happening in heaven right now, from from Revelation 1 to 22, the people of God are singing. uh, This is a part of the Bible that's often overlooked. In fact, You already know this, because somebody tell me, what's the longest book in the Bible? Say it louder. Psalms. Because God knows what we can forget. That sometimes the Psalms can do what the prophets cannot. In fact, you live in a world that was built by Jesus' followers. The ideas that are in the air that people take for granted are not self-evident. You know, these... It's self-evident that all people were created equal. Like, are you looking at people? Like, men and women are different. There is a difference between a strapping young man and an elderly, frail person. Where do we get these idea that all people are created equal unless 
you're appealing for something outside of a person for a common identity. Where do we get these ideas that the poor should be helped? Well, I would say long before it becomes some kind of law that everybody just assumes is true, it's because we sang it. We were singing it. Some of us think what we think about reality because of grandma. We heard them singing it. Um, did you know that 500 years ago, before the Reformation, you, you couldn't sing? Churches, that what we just did wouldn't have happened. This is one of the reasons the Reformation happened. Because there were rules in church about who could sing. And some of you are like, I wish those rules would come back. I know some people I would like to put that rule on. Uh, I think they did on Brother Robert last night. <laughs> Let's turn off that mic. No, so, but what would happen is you'd go to church and you would listen to highly trained people who knew, you know, they knew how to play certain instruments and sing certain songs, and you would sit and uh, listen. And so one of the things that the reformers did was they gave worship back to the people, people like Martin Luther. They took the popular bar tunes and they wrote songs so that everybody could learn them because they could learn about God as they sang, which, by the way, we still do. There was an article in the New York Times a few years ago by this woman named Natalie Angier, and she was talking about, um, the, the article was called In One Ear and Out the Other, and she said, you know, it's interesting. As memory fades, there are certain things you still remember. It's why you can't remember your best friend's birthday, but you can't forget, like, the lyrics to Gilligan Island. And she said, the reason why is because when we sing something, we remember it. In fact, one time when I was pastoring in Abilene, um, there was this elderly woman named Winnie Gibbs on the praise team, and Winnie had Alzheimer's. She didn't know her name. She didn't know her kids' names. She didn't know anything. But every Sunday, I got to watch a miracle as Miss Winnie would get up on the platform and sing every note and every word to the songs. One of the things I appreciate about our particular tribe's way of singing is that it gets into your bones, right? Like, um, I used to work at a church that had instrumental worship, and there's a lot of strengths to that, um, but one of the things I realized when I moved back to Arkansas, which is where I'm from, was I got to watch our five kids, less than half five kids, because that's one way to live your life, um, I got to watch our kids sing more. I found that they were singing a lot of times. I bet some of you, since you've been a part of church, find yourself singing a lot more. And, and one of the reasons this is important is because I don't think like singing by yourself without instruments is a right or wrong thing at all. I think it's a question of wisdom. And I see culturally one of the problems we have, and trust me, this is going to get good, but, but I want to deal with nuts and bolts first. Um, culturally, one of the problems we have is we think that every new thing is a good thing. But I don't buy the myth of progress. I think every new thing is a trade-off. So how many of y'all have Alexas? And Yeah, I do too. I do too. It's not like a repentance thing. You can play any kind of song on your iPhone or your Android or your Alexa, but in doing that, I can do something also means eventually I will no longer be able to do something else. So, for example, when was the last time you went to a sporting event and the crowd sang the national anthem instead of, like, 
you know, Beyonce? Or when was the last time that you had Christmas carolers come to your door? Or when was the last time you had friends over and you sang together? Um, that was a common occurrence just like 10, 15 years ago. And slowly, as we kind of trade off our abilities, we are able to do, we're able to listen to music, any song that we want to at any point, but we're also no longer able to do this. And that's why I love, this has been what churches, what Christians have done for 2,000 years. We've gathered together to sing. And over time, it's a habit that builds up and starts to do something to us. If you practice this, you learn a couple of things. One, that you are the church. The church is not a bunch of paid professionals. And so what happens over time is if somebody, like let's say, has a motorcycle wreck and needs care, you're reminded like, oh, that's not just somebody else needs to do that. I'm the church. Because if you don't show up, church doesn't happen. And number two, and this is really important, and this is where I think it starts to get good, you are, the, you are not the recipient of worship. You are the worshiper. If you don't like worship one day, <laughs> I've got great news for you. We weren't worshiping you, right? If, you're not, if you don't like it one day, in the 20th century, this thing has started happening in America where we talk a lot about personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm great, I love that, because it's important for you to know Jesus uh, loves you individually, but... If you love Jesus, Jesus comes along with a whole group of people, people we would not handpick out of a catalog, right? People that are a laboratory of love for us to learn how to forgive and grow together. Um, and those people are part of the worship thing that you do. And this is why this is so good for your soul, because you live in a world where we are predominantly discipled by advertisement. Our world is shrinking and shrinking. Can you tell me another place where you regularly don't get your way? Like, you come to church, and it's not just, I want to I sing the greatest jams of what I love. You come to church, and you're reminded of that psalm. What are human beings that you're mindful of us? You're reminded of your appropriate smallness. So, when I was growing up, uh, if I... We didn't have, you know, streaming and all that kind of stuff. And so if I wanted to hear a song and I didn't have money to go buy uh, a CD, which is this thing, young people, where you would take it and put it. Anyway, if you didn't have money to do that, you know what you had to do? Anybody guess? You wanted to hear a song? You'd call the radio. Okay, so you had to reach for the phone because it's attached to the wall. That's a whole other thing. And you'd call the radio and you would ask them to, back when I was a little boy, my jam was La Bamba. So I would, yeah, don't judge, don't judge. I would call the radio and I would be like, yes, I'd like to hear La Bamba. And they, more than once, they would get rude and be like, listen, lady. And I was, yeah. In the words of John Mulaney, uh, I was not offended that they called me a lady, I was offended on behalf of all women that they would treat me that way. So I'd call, I'd call and I'd be like, I'd like to hear La Bamba, and then you know what you did? You just waited. And sometimes they would play it and sometimes they wouldn't. 
That is not the experience that you have these days. If you want to hear a song, you just, hey, Siri, would you play, you know, X, Y, and Z? And I do think getting together and singing together pushes against those dark parts of our soul that start to make us think we're the center of all things. We can't do corporate singing alone. Um, And, you know, I don't know if you've seen this, but sometimes, and I don't think this is true of this group of churches, but sometimes people will leave churches because of changes in church. And if you dig down into it, you're like, wait, what did they change? They still like receive communion. They still preach. Lord knows they haven't changed announcements. It's still going to happen. What happened is they stopped singing the songs that you really liked. Um, and I've noticed this is spread against all different kinds of generations. Um, sometimes it's, you know, Traditional music that you're not singing anymore. Sometimes it's that you're not singing enough contemporary stuff, or or that you know you're not doing hymns or instruments or acapella or Gregorian chant or whatever. But we criticize church on what we like. So here's here's what this reminds me of. I want to show you some one star reviews of famous, well known places. First one is Windsor Castle. Boring. (laughs) I love how many O's they put in there. This person comes to Windsor Castle and you're like, you know what, every room is basically the same. Or what about this? I have two of this. Stonehenge. Somebody comes to Stonehenge and they're like, it's just a few rocks. Go to the next one. This is a, there is more than one person who came to this. Why people come from all over the world to see a pile of stone. Let me show you what's happening here. Stonehenge, archaeologists still don't know what it is. It is the great mystery of human existence. What is Stonehenge? Why did they do it? And somebody comes here and is like, just a pile of rocks. What about this one? More like Mediocre Canyon. <laughs> This person comes to the Grand Canyon. They look in and they're like, huh, you know, just a hole in the ground. Or what about this? Meh. They come to Big Ben and they're like, look, it's a clock in the sky. That's all it is. Or what? There's a gift from France that America was given. Anybody guess what it is? Here's the Statue of Liberty. Somebody comes to the Statue of Liberty, go to the next one, and they're like, they sneezed on my burger. (laughs) They're coming to this giant like symbol of freedom for hundreds of years, and they're like, yeah, but the hygiene is really bad. Any Texans in the crowd? Handful of Texans, then you're going to be offended at this. Somebody comes to the Alamo. And it's like, good thing it's free. Because if it wasn't, yeah, I know there's a lot of blood spilled, a lot of sacrifice, but man, is it boring. And I tell you this because this, it's easy for us to see what they're doing is foolish and like selfish and self-centered. But this is a temptation I think every American Christian has when it comes to worship. Do you realize who we are singing to? When did we lose the breathtaking vision that heaven is listening? 
That right now, when you are worshiping, you're not just worshiping with this group of people. You're worshiping with the global, historic people of God. People who have died and gone before us. You're closer to the people that we've lost here than you are at a cemetery, according to the New Testament. How do, how would, what would it look like if we started approaching this like it was really true? Like it wasn't just this you know, regular thing that we did. St. Augustine said that to worship by singing is to pray twice. And I think that's right. Singing is a practice. It's a discipline. And one of the reasons, especially dudes don't like it, is because it makes us vulnerable. Right? Unless you've got like, I don't know, Jason Mraz kind of lungs. When you sing, you probably feel a little bit like vulnerable, right? That's why we don't want to do it. And by the way, if you're a dad... It's really important for you to sing, even if you have a bad voice, maybe especially if you have a bad voice, because your kids are listening. My dad could not sing at all, but one of the reasons I care so much about what I care about is hearing my dad sing those songs, and he didn't know I was listening, but I was. So here's what would happen if we started realizing what the New Testament is trying to say about what happens when we worship. One, you wouldn't expect immediate results goosebumps and all that. That can be great. That's exciting. I love it when that happens. But you're singing to God. You're not the recipient. You wouldn't accept, expect immediate results. Does anybody know who Alec Guinness is? Huh? Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's right. You know, Alex, Alec Guinness was um, an atheist for many decades of his life, and he actually converted to Christianity later in his life and at one point, after he had become a follower of Jesus, he's walking along um, this country road in England by himself, and all of a sudden, he feels this spirit-led thing to start running, like God is calling Alec Guinness to run. And it, yeah, that sounds strange, but he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm not going to judge that guy. So he starts running, and all of a sudden, he comes up on a country church, and he goes into the country church. It's, you know, it's, nobody's there. It's just... Uh, empty building. He goes in and for 20 minutes he spends time worshiping Jesus. He said, my heart was just overflowing. And, and what he said was, it was, uh, looking back on it, I guess it was kind of a nonsensical expression of love. I don't know a better definition of what worship is than that. In light of who God is, in light of what God has done in my life, what God is doing in my life, worship is a nonsensical expression of love. It is not about what it does for me. It's not about making us better, making us feel something. And once you realize that, you don't put so much weight on what the next jam is. You participate. Because it's a way that you know you're giving an expression of love to God. Um, number two, if we approached our worship like this, we could sing on behalf of others. There are songs that I don't like and I sing them because I know they're meaningful to other people. Does anybody relate to that? There, there are songs that you're like, ah. Oh. You look around and you see someone else with their eyes closed and you're like, okay. I was uh, at a funeral one time and it was this godly man who had died. And his daughter was like, she had the voice of an angel. She, she had sung, I know that my Redeemer lives at every funeral that had ever happened in any like 100 mile radius. But when it was her dad, she gets up to do it and she can't. She breaks down and can't get through it. 
And this other sister stands up and puts her arm around her and finishes the song. That's what I'm talking about. I remember thinking, that is church. Some days we sing the song that others can't. Um, And number three, if we could approach our worship like this, we could hear from the God who works in the wilderness. What if God doesn't always want us to sing the songs we love? I think this is really important for people who are used to getting their way. It might be a way God saves our soul. Um, and, and in fact, this, this is true in American Christianity. We try to go from one hot moment to the next. And God does a lot of really good stuff when you're wondering, where are you, God? God does some of his best work in the wilderness. And number four, we could actually praise God. We have to ask ourselves, um, if, this, if this way of singing, if we start thinking of singing as a spiritual habit that's going to lead us into Christ-likeness, then God's got to be at the center of it. And sometimes we sing on the mountaintop, and sometimes we sing on the cross. There is a reason that the Apostle Paul, who in prison is writing back churches, and he's trying to get them to, like, his most important thing, when he's writing to them, he says stuff like this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Apostle Paul from prison says, don't get drunk on wine. What's the opposite of that? Because that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How does that look like, Paul? Well, it looks like speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the story of Jesus, the gospel, gets in our bones. And it's an act of resistance in a world that we hear way too many competing songs. There's a time... When the Apostle Paul is actually, um, he's gone around, he's uh, in the first place, that, the first church plant in Europe. Um, you, large percentage of you are Christians because of this. Because Paul gets the gospel out of the 30 mile pal- area that is Palestine and goes to Europe. And he plants this church in northern Greece, a place called Philippi. And he, there's a, a demon possessed little girl who they're, used, they're using as slaves. And she's following Paul and Silas around. And after a while, Paul is like, in the name of Jesus. And, and the girl is freed, but she also loses her profit for her masters. And so they cause a, a riot and they throw Paul and Silas in prison. And it's not like New England Puritan prison. It's, you don't get food. You get beaten. And in the middle of that, at midnight, Paul and Silas, who are in stocks, they're incredibly uncomfortable, they're miserable. Paul and Silas in Acts 16, this is what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I have in my Bible the words, I bet they were. They've been humiliated, beaten, tortured, and in solitary and yet they sing. This is why Paul writes to us. Do you not know? This comes along with the gospel. This is who God is. In the light of who God is, we just can't 
do anything but this. And every church ever since has done so. And it may not look like much, and it's often sounded like even less, but it's the way we remember and live out the revolutionary thing that is the Christian faith. So I don't know if you saw this video. It's of a guy named Ben Ellis who taught at a Christian school in Nashville for decades. And as he's dying with stage four cancer in his hospital, his students that he has taught for the last several years do the one thing they think that can make his passing easier. And so they gather around his hospital room, and if you could, show that video. just be singing to God, but in the presence of God. I told you that Genesis 1, it's like God starts off by creating the world with a song. Actually, C.S. Lewis, in his great book, The Chronicles of Narnia, has this moment where these two kids walk in, they get to come to the creation of Narnia by accident, and they come with their evil uncle Andrew. And Aslan, who's the God character, creates Narnia by singing it into existence. And as the song begins to go, Aslan creates Narnia with a song. And as the song begins, they begin to see these stars appear, trees and birds and oceans and land appear. And the kids hear the song and they think it's beautiful. But Andrew, the evil uncle, he hears the song and he doesn't like it at all. He actually convinces himself lions can't sing. So after a while, all Andrew can hear is a roar. Aslan actually says, oh son of Adam, how foolishly you defend yourself against all that can do well. This is the story of the Bible. God creates the world singing. They're singing all throughout from the Psalms to the prophets to people like Mary who tune in to what God is doing to the story of Exodus. It's a song of creation and liberation and recreation. And whether you acknowledge the song or not, it just keeps 
going. And then in the end of the Bible, you actually see all the saints picking up this song, the song of restoration and renewal and redemption. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it just keeps going. But the entire creation eventually picks up, joining in this song that has been going forever. So let's do that now. Let's stand and sing and join the song. Glory be to God.